0: I'm Alex Shaw.
1: I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Hawkeye.
2: This is the first Christmas we've had together in years.
3: I love you guys. I'm making up for some lost time.
0: Authorities are wondering if the masked vigilante
3: who terrorized the city's underworld is back past is caught up with me.
1: Should we be worried?
3: No, no, it's nothing. I'll be home for Christmas. I promise. It's the most wonderful time. When I wore this suit, I made a whole lot of enemies.
4: You're a Hawkeye.
3: Who the hell are you?
4: Some people have actually called me. The world's greatest archer. Are you one of those people? It's the most wonderful.
3: Hey, babe, I should be back in a day or two. Hang on a second. Things have gotten more complicated. just some Christmas.
0: With us to discuss the 2021 Disney Plus TV miniseries is Greg Downing of Through the Wind Door.
2: Can I speak to your manager? This is like talking to furniture.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And over the past year, I've had the growing feeling of the way our TV has become more cinematic while the most popular cinema has become more episodic in the mode that we are used to seeing on television. So I recently undertook... Two editing projects. One was to condense Hawkeye from six episodes into two films to be watched over two nights, much like Kill Bill. Or you could watch them all back to back. It's the same basic amount of time. It's four hours worth of content. The other was to divide The Eternals up into six parts to make it a series that you watch over a longer time period. For this, I added Disney and Marvel logos, title cards, credit sequences, new musical choices, and previously on Eternals, recaps at the beginning of each 20- to 30-minute episode. So, Sharon, briefly, what was the experience of recontextualizing these two into different presentations?
1: I think of the two, the... I won't say the most successful because they both really worked okay. in their new formats. I think the one I preferred was The Eternals.
0: Do you think that's more to do with the content than the way it was presented? Uh,
1: Quite likely, but I also think it's to do with the fact that the context in which I saw The Eternals originally was, as we discussed on the episode, in a cinema where I was uncomfortable being around people and Mm. the screen was very dingy. They didn't seem to have the colour balance right.
3: Oh, yeah,
0: this time we could actually see the action. I'm I'm going to have to take back a lot of things I said about um, the the way films are lit. Uh, When it comes down to it, our local Odeon far too frequently lights things and balances things poorly.
1: Yeah, but the being able to absorb the Eternals in more bite-sized pieces and we we did watch them in sort of fairly quick succession
5: it
0: was Was over over it was one a night for seven nights originally It it was seven but we decided that the last two ended up too short you're sort of halfway through the big you know marvel climax everyone's fighting everyone you kind of want to stay with that
1: yeah yeah so having the time to really digest what I'd just seen before we moved on to the next section helped a lot, I think, to absorb what is ultimately a big ensemble piece and a lot to take in if you sit down and and watch it all in one sitting. Clearly,
0: side note, they thought the same about Hawkeye because they could have divided that into two episodes. It was an hour long.
1: Indeed. So Hawkeye, I think, benefited from being movie feature length in in two big parts, I could still feel the the inhale and exhale of the TV pacing, but that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. There there weren't what you would normally expect to see in a quote-unquote more cinematic outing, the big action set pieces, but there were enough small intimate meaningful action set pieces that it still felt worthwhile having them grouped together so that you could feel the building impact of those yeah
0: agreed episode four that takes place in the middle uh forms the beginning of part of volume two of this and, uh, you know, w- whether you watch it as, as it is or whether you watch it as part of a volume, the beginning part of volume two, it's downtime. It's them hanging out. And it culminates with that fight uh, on the roof with both Echo and Yelena. And um, it feels like if that was going to be a film there would be something more at the beginning just to grab you and, and keep the pace up a bit. The beginning of Kill Bill Volume 2 does not start with The Bride at Bud's trailer and that lengthy Bud's section. Mm. It starts with Bill visiting The Bride and just like a, a significant moment of going, like a very dramatic piece. Absolutely. Also, seeing Bill, mm. which you didn't see throughout the whole of, of Part 1. So, yeah. um, So I feel like if I was going to... Do anything about the edit that I did. I might reorder something to go at the beginning there, because otherwise, it's it's they've been they've been chasing the swordsman, and then it's like the the end of volume one is Hawkeye's got the sword to his throat. And he's like, oh my god, and then that tension is immediately popped at the beginning of volume two. It's like, oh, uh, thank you so much for bringing our daughter back. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I also would say that the experience of watching films in the cinema. Has definitely affected how I judge a movie in the sense that I'm not just thinking about whether or not it caught my attention out the gate it's whether it caught the audience's attention enough to make them shut up and pay attention for the entire movie and unfortunately more often than not the answer to that is no but I have now experienced that frequently enough to know that it's the audience and not necessarily the movie
0: side note I went to see Nightmare Alley the other day I've told Sharon this already um as I sat down, a little old lady and a little old man were on the far end of the row. I was trying to sort of like scrunch myself onto the far side of the wall. And I was like, this old man and old lady are not going to like this Guillermo del Toro meditation on the trappings of the film noir. And they seemed to be sort of engaged with it for a while. And then the old woman got her phone out and started tapping through. And I was like, wow, you confounded my expectations in a whole different way. Well done, almost. Also, fuck you. <laughs> But uh, honestly, the, uh, the other big thing that tipped me off to the fact that the event, the Eternals last two episodes needed to be one, was that it ended on a big climax that was then resolved in seconds with a rock at the uh, last episode. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? That feels anticlimactic. So let's just, just just stitch those together. So I made episode five longer and then episode six a combination of the rest. No, I
1: think that was very sensible. Okay.
0: So, <clears throat> what Hawkeye was clearly the most inspired by is the four-book 22 issues in an annual comic run written by Matt Fraction and illustrated by David Aja that ran from 2012 to 2016 and that was much much more of a sprawling saga which took the now tired Clint Barton and put him in a rundown down apartment building that he owns in New York pairing him up with the already active young Avenger Kate Bishop who already bears his alias of Hawkeye. And there are many similarities and stylistic choices lifted directly from that run. Most of the plot of the TV show is a reworking of two or three of the threads that run the course of that meandering kitchen sink superhero drama. The whole having to deal with the tracksuit mafia, that is a, a constant thing in this as well. There are, But there are many characters, uh, well, uh, at least three that I can think of where they changed who they were really substantially for this show. Uh, And there are obviously many differences, and it's it's a good thing that they didn't attempt to cleave closer to the source material, or it wouldn't have sat as well with the MCU saga as a whole. It would have lasted a hell of a lot longer. It would have meandered more. Like It's it's structurally... It splits off halfway through as Kate goes 2,000 miles west to L.A. and tries to be a private eye there, and... Kate's also positioned as older, even though she's also called a kid by older men. And she gets involved with Elliot Gould, who's a a, a, a a former hacker investigator there. It's it's a whole extra load of stuff, which actually I found myself wishing that Fraction and Naja had just sort of focused on the New York side of things. I like the idea of Kate starting off on her own, but that almost seemed like it needed to happen after the events of the
2: of what happened regarding the Treksuit Mafia played out. And well, it it yeah. also couldn't possibly be the same kind of story. I'm, I've actually never read the Matt Fraction run, mm-hmm. but I'm very familiar with Hawkeye as a character in the comics over the years, and the differences between Haw- comics Hawkeye and Renner's Hawkeye... Let's call
0: him like, Clint, because uh, Kate is yeah. also Hawkeye in that.
2: Oh, uh, yes, fair enough. Clint in the MCU is a very different kind of character, mm-hmm. a little bit more in line with the Ultimates universe, I suspect to a certain degree, mm-hmm. because I actually that's put where,
0: that a note down there on that.
2: Yeah. We actually that that's that's the universe where our introduction to Hawkeye is that he's a spy mm-hmm. much like Natasha yeah. as opposed to his carny upbringing. And his initial start as an Iron Man villain, over all things, Mm. uh, rather than uh, immediately going to superhero. Yeah, also his
0: costume and just general look. And uh, what was the word you said? Taciturn, his his nature, are much Mm. more in line with that version of things. Uh, But luckily, uh, they didn't go for what Mark Millar did, which is murder his entire family. And then uh, he gets, like, strapped to a chair and uh sean you might need to put your fingers in your ears for this the way he gets out of it folks is by ripping off his own fingernails and using them as tiny frisbees to kill people with yay
2: yeah that sounds like a very millar thing Yeah, yeah mark
0: millar has one volume and it's extreme But also, if we'd gone for the the, uh, Fraction version of uh, Hawkeye, we wouldn't have gotten Echo or Yelena, neither of whom are in there, and both of whom are, especially Yelena, is very different in the comics. And those are two... Bright, shining stars in a show where the guy whose name is on the doorbell is only a medium remarkable thing in it. He's not the least interesting thing, but he's definitely not the most interesting thing, which is good, frankly, because this is called Hawkeye, not Clint Barton, and they definitely, this is definitely a Kate Bishop steps up in his uh, center stage. And I, the fact that like Hayley Steinfeld has just been, like, she's already played. Gwanda in um, uh, Enter the Spider-Verse, but um, having her in the MCU, it just feels like she was waiting to step up and this
2: is exactly the right character for her. She is exactly the reason that I was interested to see this to begin with, because even though Hawkeye has gotten some good small moments over the course of the Infinity Saga, like, the show itself sort of admits it right at the beginning. It shows its hand. He is the least interesting Avenger He's just this brooding person or this person to one side most of the time. Mm. And I've never particularly cared for Renner as a person or as uh, someone that respects his role in being even a, uh, a smaller character in the MCU. So the importance of I'm watching this to see him pass the torch to the far more dynamic and entertaining uh, Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop that was what was pulling me through it right up until we finally got to Yelena and everything started getting way more entertaining on top of that yeah Um, have you ever read uh, Kevin Smith's revival of Green Arrow from 2001 I think I've seen little bits of it I've never read all the way through it Hmm. because I don't have a lot of familiarity with Fraction um There were some definite elements in terms of uh, figuring out how to use trick arrows for the first time Mm -hmm. that was pulled specifically from Morrison's run on JLA Mm -hmm. where uh, Green Arrow's half-son, not not half-son, but like after Green Arrow seemed to die, he takes up the mantle with the JLA but he uses regular arrows. Hang on, are we talking uh, Connor Hawke or Connor, Roy Harper here? Connor, Connor Hawke mm-hmm. in this particular case.
0: That's his actual son. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. Roy
0: Harper is uh, Speedy, the uh, sort of adopted ward.
2: Yeah, exactly. He gets invited to join... Who became all- Red Arrow after this one. Sorry, come in. Yeah. No, no, no. He gets, t- he gets invited to join all of the veterans on uh, JLA. Mm-hmm. And right around that time, they get sort of... Uh, clocked by an old enemy that hasn't been around for a really long time, Mm -hmm. and when he runs out of regular arrows, he's got to break out his father's trick arrows Mm -hmm. and try to figure out how to use them against the enemy, because he's like, only an idiot could use these arrows, only a genius could use these arrows, and that, Mm. it felt a little bit like they were tapping into that dynamic when Kate was trying to figure them out in that yeah. Driving scene in episode three.
0: Yeah. It's a, a fraction definitely kind of, uh, harkens back to that. It's definitely its own thing. There are similarities, uh, at that, in Quiver, Kevin Smith brings Green Arrow back from the dead. He's been dead since sort of around the um, Crisis on Infinite right. Earths time. Right, yeah. And uh, his soul had been wandering in heaven, but then his body gets brought back, but is not yet reunited with his soul. And it's it's a whole bunch of, there's some fucked up stuff in that. But what I really loved was that kind of Ollie as this sort of grumpy old lefty, now mm-hmm. back in the city and just doing street level uh like just trying to help the little guy. And that's very much the energy of Fraction's Hawkeye. That's very much the energy of, of, of this Hawkeye. And mm-hmm. um, they both take on a, a female ward who, and they, they, they kind of like train them up as a sort of a replacement slash sidekick. One thing I, I particularly liked about Fraction's uh, uh, verbiage is just little speech bubbles. When people are talking, when the tracksuit mafia start... It just says in brackets inside the speech bubble, Russian maybe? <laughs> and it's like you're actually getting the interpretations of, uh, you know, it's it's very playful with the something, 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 and then a word. So at some point you'll get pizza dog's uh, uh, perspective, and it goes something, 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 collar, because he knows the word collar. There's also a wonderful section where you're seeing everything from dog's perspectives, and it's all... Symbols representing sense and sounds, and Uh. then later on, uh, a gunshot goes off beside Clint's ear, and he is deafened. And then, when people speak to him, it's a blank speech bubble. And then he slowly starts to look at their mouths and starts to uh, get parts of what they're saying. And it's about re-engaging with them. And I love some real subtleties and and beautiful uh, use like ways of interpreting speech through visuals and that got me thinking and that actually helped me develop tiger's eye because i'd read the first half of this back before 2015 when i started doing um, uh, tiger's eye so that conversation that harao and miguel have with the silent one and have to sort of get stuff around remember when she talks with the traders and they sort of say some things And it was sort of inspired by that use of language as an expression that it becomes an abstraction. And Mm -hmm. that was what I tied in with the whole, if a lion could speak English, we still wouldn't understand it. Oh ho ho ho, I think we would because we'd have certain commonalities.
6: One evening at a crossing, a couple of Panther traders appear far off down the pathway, bearing packs of their assembled wares. Miguel spots them. And abiding by my instructions scurries off and into the nearest bushes i stand and cordially await the approach of the traders they eye me nervously but i keep my spear stowed and hold out my paws pads up to wave them in fixing my expression to one of friendly greeting it has been a very long time since i spoke with panthers and my understanding of their dialect is frankly appalling we share many common words among our tribes, so I try to focus on employing those no where you saunter we have much awesome it must, it must trade I do my level best to shape the words I know into phrases that will maintain my air of friendly innocuousness. Hopefully they will be on their way before Miguel makes his presence known. The spirits can only tell what I ended up sounding like your body is. Beatings? Yes, this not will hurt. You have. Doctor food? Doctor food? Oh, I'll be medical supplies. Do Something else be worthy positive. Look, I made meat for you, suitable for swapping. Um, Chief Toucan. Congratulations, legitimate order of business. Most of what they have on offer lacks the immediate practical application to our journey, but I trade some meat for a little medicine to counter pain. I can see the moment when they scent Miguel; they are smelling him right now. I have to throw them off the scent, literally. The traders sniff up and down, and I nod and point at myself that is stink me i have fight an overabundance of pungent baboons see how they gnash my back arm i proffer my tail which is healing but still bound it is a somewhat childish gambit but i put extra emphasis on my injury letting the tip droop as i stroke it poor wretch that stays up all night dancing with the father of passing that is why I devoured all my doctor food. I am not a good liar. This is why I told the truth.
0: Another influence on the way these interactions go in Tiger's Eye is a completely unseen 1996 surreal comedy by Steven Soderbergh called Schizopolis, where everybody speaks in these weird kind of nonsense languages, but you get enough recurring words that you start to work out what they mean, and context is everything.
3: Hoodwink scatterbark? Hasty landmine?
0: Ambassador jumpsuit landmine. If you've known me and if you've known my work for long enough, you'll know that communication is really important to me but let's get back to hawkeye yeah when swordsman turns up it just says french <laughs> and hawkeye was raised in a circus by swordsman by the way so uh, this is the the guy with the mustache who is kind of he's a villain so when it turns out he's not a villain it's a little bit of a, a captain marvel scenario of but that's none of my business and um, he actually turned out to be so nice that I was like, could you adopt Kate at the end, please? Like, he almost seems oblivious to the fact that he's been fucked over by Vera Farmigia. And if you live in the uh, Godzilla universe, you'll understand that. But like, as soon as I saw her in this, I was like, oh, it's her. It's her because they saw her be Thanos in King of the Monsters, and she'll rationalize it. <laughs> I do like the way her character... Remains consistent in her Let's put all of this behind us, honey Let's just move on And Mm. stop asking me questions About this thing that's devastating to my case Mm.
1: Let's pretend (laughs) this never happened Uh, Hang on a minute
2: Yeah I have complicated feelings About both Jack Duquesne And Eleanor Bishop Mm -hmm. Because You're right that Jack is You know Very forgiving and entertaining The problem Is and I mean I don't know if this is a a weakness or a strength. There's been a lot of discussion about the MCU TV specifically Mm -hmm. that it could have been made better by more episodes, giving room to flesh things out some more. Mm. And if Jack, if Jack's story, I don't know if that was meant to ever be developed at all. The problem is, is that. When it's all said and done, he appears to have just been this very affable plot contrivance, mm-hmm. and doesn't appear to have much of an internal life to himself, mm-hmm. because he's just like at the end, he's just like, oh, maybe I'll go larping with these uh, with these first responders and policemen later on. Yeah, but I didn't have anything else to do
0: because he's rich.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the other thing is that at one point he's like, uh, you know, he's got out his sword he's like okay don't fuck this up and we're about to be like oh we're about to find out what's going on inside his head and it never gets paid off
0: Uh, there were uh, let's let's talk about the things that did annoy us to begin with since we're on this tip already Uh, while we were watching I uh, after Echo's father was murdered I went okay so how do we find out that that wasn't Clint and Sharon couldn't answer and then when we got to the end the second time around I went who the fuck killed Echo's father It's such, like, that is prime material for a Rashomon. That is, Kate Echo sees her father fighting, turns away for a moment and hides from gunshots, then comes back and her father's been killed, and she blames Ronin for it. Mm. That could easily have been. Hawkeye was chasing an assassin, was not able to kill that assassin before he killed her father, and is thus innocent of this crime. Or it could have been, he really did kill her father. But we kind of need that specificity. Mm. Or even the specificity of Clint saying, you know what, I might have killed your father or I might not. It really doesn't matter. I've killed so many people that whatever you're angry at me for, I'm probably guilty of. That in itself is a statement. I believe that really important dramatic interaction Got interrupted. They were right in the middle of it. And then suddenly, arrows everywhere. And it never got resolved. And the problem is, she's super pissed at him for a very legitimate reason. And it is part Mm. of her arc. And then they take the character of Echo, move her back, not all the way to the back, but just to one side, and push in Yelena with her beef with Hawkeye, Mm. with uh, uh, Clint, And we've already seen the entire context of why she's wrong on that. We've also seen Miss Evil Pants fucking Julia Louise Dreyfus sidle up to her and go, Well, I am obviously evil and duplicitous and don't care about anyone at all. And you've spent your entire life being a manipulated weapon. I'm just thinking maybe you could be my manipulated weapon so that I can get you to kill this guy. And we were like, there's no way she can buy this shit. And then when she turned up... Florence Pugh did her absolute best with the material and clearly added loads of extra character, but I'm like wow, you really did buy that line of shit she fed you, didn't you? Okay.
1: The the other issue that I had, and you were absolutely right with what you were saying about the, the inconclusivity of what happened with Echo's father, mm. but about halfway between seeing that Realizing how confusing that scene was and the end, I became convinced that Kazi had actually done it mm. because he was acting so, so shifty! And suspiciously. But that never gets paid off
5: either.
0: He gets killed mm. conveniently, much like those uh, um, freedom fighters at the end of Captain America and, sorry, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because it's like, boom, let's get them out of the way. Mm. Similarly, seemingly they do the same thing to the kingpin, who, by the way, turned up just to be mightily depowered.
5: Indeed. I was like, Indeed.
0: yay, the fourth best kingpin is here. First of all, you've got Michael Clark Duncan from the original Daredevil film, which is way better than everyone keeps saying.
3: Wesley did you know back in ancient times they would cut the tongues out of their bodyguards their first day on the job
6: you think that's horrible don't you because you don't like the physical stuff i do
0: You got Leaf Schreiber's Kingpin in Enter the Spider-Verse. I killed Spider-Man. Why did I just see two more? The guy from Radioactive Spider-Man, the 90s Spider-Man show, who I always thought was like, Yes, well, I am the Kingpin, and you have unfortunately
3: crossed paths with me. He was very kind of hitchcocky, and I'm like, that guy had presence. What is the best way to say it? I believe small-time hood sums it up. But my father wanted more out of life. He wanted to become a member of the mob. As for myself, I was lonely, ostracized because of my weight. My father had great dreams. But things never went (laughs) my father's way. (laughs) Willie, what are you doing here? Come on, let's go! Whatever my father touched, can positively putrid. No, please, Willie, don't do this! I knew you were ruthless, but this... The
0: sacrifices must be made. Roscoe Lee Brown. And then there's Vincent D'Onofrio, who everyone keeps telling me was awesome in Daredevil. And what mm. I saw of him, he was smashing a guy's head in the door, and he looked like this giant angry baby. Consult our Daredevil season one show for more specificity. But he never impressed me. And then he turned up here, and I was like, right, finally, you can make it seem like this guy was in charge of loads of stuff. And like at the end, he can sort of like answer the phone and go hmm, okay, and then clang it down and goes, oh my God, Kingpin was there all along, and then we'll deal with him later, but instead he turns up. The first thing that happens, the first thing we see him do, is to lose Eleanor's trust and business, and then he loses Maya, with delivery that shows a wheedling desperation, but never hints at any actual charisma
3: or power. I've seen you at the end of some tough matches, but this, do you want to tell? been going on i always taught you to keep a low profile i'm sorry i got carried away you know what my father meant to me to all of us i've come to my
0: senses i need to focus on the job Stop chasing ghosts. I've realized no matter what I do,
3: I can't bring my father back. Finding whoever killed him, that won't change anything. He would have wanted you to move on. He always wanted the best for you. I only wish that he could be here now to see you and all of your accomplishments. If it's okay with you, I'd like a couple of days off to clear my head. That's reasonable. Maya, I, uh, I love you.
0: Honestly, the cadence of his voice, he's like a really husky William Shatner. I'm losing my entire empire of crime all in one afternoon. Who will shed a tear for the Kingpin? Then he gets his ass kicked by Kate, a 19-year-old girl, college student, exceptionally good at archery, but unable to apply that during this fight, who could definitely kick my ass, but whose fighting abilities were considered to be laughable by, admittedly, one of the world's most deadly super weapons. And it definitely felt like he was pulling his punches and he was trying to not hurt her, which is nice. However, in terms of words I would use to best lay out a kingpin that you're introducing to a whole new universe, one of the last that I would land upon is nice. And then he, he fights her in a toy store and she beats him. And then he go, he goes, oh, and he's sort of limping away. And then Echo turns up and goes, I could totally fight you with my eyes closed and I can't hear. And then she shoots him and then that's it for the kingpin. I'm sure she didn't kill him because they'll want to bring him back. But it's like, what was the point of bringing him in here to be the guy that everyone's scared of with no justification for that?
1: Mm. There's, Vincent D'Onofrio is always slightly on the back foot with me. And when everybody was raving about how wonderful he was going to be and then thought he was in Daredevil. But to me, I've seen him in two other things that I can remember, and in both, he is effectively a tortured kid.
2: I, I sort of understand the ending as relates to Echo, mm-hmm. because I've, it's been shared with me since then that apparently Echo shooting the kingpin is like a significant thing in the comics itself. Mm-hmm. And honestly, oh, yeah, and no, yeah, th-
0: th- there was some comic accuracy with Echo. I actually held off on rereading Echo stuff because we've got an Echo series coming up, mm. but that is accurate.
2: Yeah, and but and to a certain extent, part of me was just maybe a little bit entertained with the idea that Kingpin just sort of shows up long enough for Echo to, you know, kill him as part of her uh, dealing with her own revenge, and we're actually not going to see Vincent D'Onofrio again. But at the same time, with an Echo series coming up, I have to accept that maybe Kingpin somehow survives. I mean, heck, he survived a massive explosion from Hawkeye's trick arrows. Mm. I don't know what the deal with this Kingpin is. I mean, we've sort of already established that everybody is sort of a little bit ridiculously durable in the MCU, thinking back to um, just the amount of punishment that non-powered Black Widow took in her movie.
0: We'll see almost everyone whose actor is still alive back again. Mm. I'm sure. And with what Disney's doing in the book of Boba Fett, we'll probably see a bunch of people who aren't still alive. Ugh. But the rule of, if you didn't see it happen, then the gunshot does not mean a person's dead, is still in full effect here. I mean, that applies in just any old crime drama that isn't set in a universe with a revolving door afterlife. I'm absolutely down for Echo and all Kate Bishop beating the Kingpin. But it feels like that should be the pinnacle of a mountain of challenge that they have to climb. Not to prove themselves to us, but just so that we can go through a story with them. This felt more like a
2: convenience of, oh, uh, he's right here, so you can dispatch him now. Uh, One thing I was disappointed at is that, like, it would have been nice if it had been clearer what exactly happened with Kazi, because I thought Mm. that maybe he would end up coming back for Echo's show, you know, because it's clear he was significant to her in a way but that appears to have tailed off. They're just like, clear the decks. Let's have Mm -hmm. no more established existing relationships. No, I guess I'm just a little bit disappointed to an extent that Echo is clearly a very interesting character. I'm going to chase you around the garden with a bit of wood. She's a (laughs) what character? (laughs) She is a character that I want to see more of. There you go. She was definitely engaging when she was the focus of the story, mm-hmm. which, as you say, she sort of got pushed to one side. Mm. As oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saving a
0: whole section for how fucking awesome Echo is.
2: Mm-hmm. But, but that's the thing, is that, again, if there had been more room to do more with her instead of resolving her stuff off to one side. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I can't... In every moment that Florence Pugh shows up, Mm -hmm. she is just, yep, no, no, this scene is mine, this scene is mine. I'm like, I'm there for it. Uh, Also kind of, as you say, disappointed that she was fooled. But I feel like maybe, you know, she was kind of dealing with her own trauma and that was screwing her up. Because clearly at one point after she has that conversation with Kate, mm-hmm. she's thinking to herself, I don't know about this. I'm going to follow up on this because I kind of like Kate. And, yeah. you know, I don't want to actually see anything bad happen to her. Although I suspect she might have been given instructions to be like, get rid of Hawkeye. Don't hurt this girl right here. And since it's clear at this point that um, Eleanor actually hired Evil Evilpens, as you say, to send someone to get Hawkeye out of the way. Mm -hmm. Um, But she would have been focused on get rid of him, don't touch the girl. But at the same time, the energy between the two of them throughout every scene they're in is beautiful. And I'm really hoping to see more of that sooner rather than later. Yeah.
1: I do think the, the arc with Yelena plays out well. The ultimate motivation behind her actions towards Clint is very much tied up in her having to accept that Natasha is gone as long as she Mm. can stay angry she doesn't have to accept that it's when she recognizes that and the sadness comes in that she is no longer Mm. aggressive towards him I just think that could have done with a bit more examination than it got
0: yeah Uh, when she says you had so much time with her and I resent you for that that Like that was a serious moment, and i I honestly wish that they had had like been able to share a scene together in a non- like nonviolent scenario where Hawkeye was just like separated out from all of this stuff mm. um like so like brought her in earlier and had her hunting Hawkeye from the get go
1: yeah, and have her anger and frustration peak sooner,
0: yeah, mm. Uh, but and then you know have have them all fighting together at the uh, the end. Although at the same time, I can't really be angry that the uh, big fight at the end was also twinned with dramatic confrontations, because that's more interesting than just, Absolutely. are they going to beat the Trek Soup Mafia? Yes, they are. They're Marvel characters. And
1: that's what I mean about this having, although it does have... And they managed the to do
0: that real... without spilling blood as well. There was that one shot where that guy gets his leg frozen, and <laughs> I'm like, that guy that fell over. And the leg exploded, <laughs> and then someone went, that's a bit much. Cut it just before he falls yeah. over.
1: This is TV. Kids might see this. Yeah,
0: Batman would have thought, look, animated series Batman, would have thawed that man's leg out gently in a back to tank
1: (laughs) it does have that movie feel but like I said because it doesn't have to have the cinematic fill the screen big huge this is what your CGI budget is Mm. going for sets it is it gives you more room to breathe around those personal Mm. interactions Mm. like the thing that I always praise Winter Soldier for
2: yeah yeah Um, you did say it was bloodless but on the other hand there's a number of unfortunate implications such as the truck full of tracksuit mafia being shrunk and then the owl flying off with it
1: (laughs) they're gonna be a pellet
2: yeah (laughs) and like at one point
0: one of the arrows is firing out loads of tiny little spines which are probably tranquilizer darts but Mm -hmm. I guarantee a few of them went straight through the eyes of someone from the tracksuit mafia He's like
3: why would you call
0: this (laughs) non-violent also why have they even got the freeze your entire leg arrow that
1: that's <laughs> why do we even have this arrow <laughs> so i know you're chummy
3: with my mom but i gotta say i didn't think you'd make the cut for the christmas party kate bishop i'm just going to kill barton have some appetizers
5: and then i'll go it looks like you already lost him
1: he's in the elevator what out of 65 floors you think you're just gonna magically guess which one he's on 12th
5: floor damn it enjoy the party
0: I am somewhat restricted on these clips because YouTube have ultra-sensitive copyright killbots in effect at all times. So the folks who can sneak Disney Plus clips through often have to completely jumble them or weirdly stick the Wii Shop music behind everything which sounds horrible. You know, it's a good idea, as long as there's no diegetic music in the scene already. And when there's music, well, it'll sound horrible.
4: I am not gonna just sit and have dinner with you
3: after you tried to kill me and then just broke into my house. I did not try to kill you. A, I put you on a wire to remove an obstacle. I don't have any weapons on me. Okay, I take that back. I don't have any weapons currently in my
2: hands. So, here's a question that I was curious if it uh, struck you this way, too. Did the latter half of Hawkeye come across to you as a little bit diehardy? A little bit, yeah. Because I... one of the things I noticed on the second watch through is that the song that the tracksuits are listening
3: right mm. before
2: Hawkeye delivers the message—that's the same Run DMC song that Argyle is playing when he's taking John McClane to the uh, to Nakatomi yeah. Plaza, Christmas
0: in Hollis, mm-hmm.
2: and. Just the overall, you know, like the the tracksuits driving up in their big trucks, which is, again, feeling a little bit like that. Obviously, it's played a lot more for laughs, where um, Die Hard is generally more serious, except for a few, you know, po-fates, more more ridiculous bits. Yeah, it's got more Um,
0: 80s humor than 20s humor.
2: mm Mm-hmm. But um, just in terms of... By the way,
0: I'm glad we're in a decade that we can say Ease now, finally, after 20 goddamn years. Uh, (laughs) I I said repeatedly um, that uh, the Russo brothers could potentially have done this better because they've they've handled the espionage stuff and quite a lot of very key Avengers stuff extremely well. Uh, Although it did still feel like a companion piece to the Black Widow movie, which uh, neither of them were done by the uh, Russo brothers. So you could probably whittle away some of the goofy stuff and it would feel like more of a flavor that's consistent. Um, one thing the Russo brothers films are though is is, is pretty clear. When we got to the end um, and I was like, okay, so Vera Farmiga killed Simon Callow. That's cool. Why? And Sharon couldn't answer me. And I went, you know what? It's actually better if we don't look that up because it illustrates the failure of a mystery in a show where it's supposed to be who's the bad guy. Okay, it's this person, and this is why. And he, like, at the end of LA Confidential, a cop gives a really clear 90 second statement on all of the things we just saw and makes it so, like, it, it cleans everything up for the audience. It's magnificently done. And it's a piece of characterization because it then leads to a hero, that speech. And I did the same thing in uh, Stone Spring Maidens, only Catherine's speech was way longer than 90 seconds. But it was like, lots of things happened in this book and I need to make it clear what the hell that was. Mm. That is definitely absent from Hawkeye.
2: Mm. So as far as why Armand had to die,
0: mm-hmm.
2: on the second watch through... At one point, Eleanor clearly says, I killed Armand like you told me to. And I'm glad. Glad, see? <laughs> so it almost, like, I'm sure there was a reason, but the fact that she was directed to by Kingpin, mm-hmm. you should be like, okay, she did that. So just I'm hand wave
0: sure. towards Kingpin and say Kingpin did it.
2: Yeah. Well, Kingpin, yeah, Kingpin was, and, and whatever reason the Kingpin had, mm-hmm. you know, f- fine. But... It's not clear if... You know, he hires Jack... Echo,
0: he hires... Sharon uh, assumed that Ronin, Ronan, uh, Clint, was working for the Kingpin.
2: And that makes no sense to me. It feels like the Kingpin is definitely someone Clint would have taken out. Yeah. And, and could have very easily, honestly, if he wanted to. So that's, again, another thing I have to not think about.
0: Yeah, but that's th- like that's... This was where you resolve... What the hell Clint did as Ronin, but in their aim to make this as pg as possible they were like what did you do as ronin some very bad things okay we're going to go any further into that no probably for the best that's cool but i don't know where you are morally i like i I know that you hate what you did but who were you working for i want to know who explain the dead people i'm (laughs) debbie at the end of gross point blank (laughs)
1: like i said i do think it it Makes sense because if they'd been really black and white about this is the stuff he does or did, then your audience is then morally divided because some people are going to be like, well, I totally understand why he'd do that, mm. and other people are going to be like, oh, that's terrible, I can't possibly think. Was he the that.
0: Punisher with a sword, or was he uh, like a serial killer? Yeah,
1: indeed, my. But we
0: don't know. We just have to guess.
1: Absolutely, my suspicion is that during that period in the blip, he was so enraged about losing his family he needed to take it out on somebody but he is not the kind of person who picks his own targets so he needed somebody to aim him mm. and so he went to work for the kingpin and that's what he regrets but that can't, but ultimately, that
0: can't be what happened because they would have said it at
1: any point you would think so, bringing
0: yes. the ki- goddamn kingpin in Absolutely. and if, if they did and they cut it out then that was a really good way of obfuscating I love that word now obfuscating a much clearer point about why Clint feels terrible because if a gang lord tells you to go kill other gangsters you're like technically, I'm making the world a better place by taking out criminals. Mm. And he, oh, and Clint could rationalise that to himself, but he needed to tell another human being that was his rationale.
1: Indeed. It's possible that he told Laura, and that's why she backs him up on, mm. on everything that he does in this. It's also possible that I am fishing in the dark there, yeah. and in fact, the only reason that he needed to stick around in New York to resolve his own dirty laundry was because Echo was trying to kill mm. the Ronin, and that happened to be him.
2: Yeah. And that was another... Big. So the entire thing that set this off, the watch, that gets a resolution. We find out, oh, it was Laura's watch all along. But the watch has no significance attached to it.
3: Beyond emotional.
2: Yeah, well, well, no, the watch has no significance attached to it, as in it's the thing that the tracksuits were interested in above everything else. I went back to the first episode and they'd be like, make sure... Take whatever you want, make sure we get the watch.
0: Because that'll really piss off Clint's wife.
2: But why is the watch significant to Kingpin, or alternately to Maya, if she's the one that spearheaded the the theft? Because if, if it's part of her goal to try and find Ronan it makes more sense that she'd be interested in acquiring the Ronin's sword. The
0: sword, yeah. That's a better MacGuffin if if it's all about finding Ronin.
1: Yeah, and if the issue is that the Kingpin is trying to track down the Ronin, then the Watch makes no sense because he says to Kazi at one point, Mm. we have the Ronin running around killing people. Mm. There's an Avenger in town. He does not give any indication that he is aware of the fact that those two are the same people. Yeah, Same person, sorry.
0: Again, it feels like just... A section at the end where Kate, Yelena and Clint have this shit explained to them Mm. by a stand-in for goddamn Nick Fury or something.
1: It does kind of feel like the plot threads were being handled by Charlie Day with his big...
5: Red, Red thread reds. board
1: And he didn't realise that by the time he was done Several of these threads actually don't go anywhere
5: it,
0: it, Yeah, it feels like it, They were in the planning stage And they were like, oh my god like Everyone loves Yelena from uh, Black Widow Let's get her into this yeah. I'm totally behind that And it's like, well, we're going to have to bring back I know I said this before But it's a really important structural point echo at this point and make it less about her and 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 so they did that but in doing so they shifted some important moving pieces and eventually did not close out yeah. certain storylines it's
1: like one of those um, jumbled yarn mazes where you're supposed to get from a to b and they got lost in the middle and then came back out at a again <laughs>
2: <laughs> honestly like it would have made more sense if the goal was to grab the sword and the outfit mm. and the watch just happened to be there yeah. and was picked up by them. And at one point, you know, Laura continues to say, do you think that they have the watch? And Maya actually has it, doesn't realize the significance of it, mm. but Clint still feels the need to grab it because I guess in theory, it could lead back to his wife and it's clear at that point that Maya's like, okay, I know that Clint is involved here and I have this whole list of his family. That is a reason to keep him around to reacquire that again to protect his family. Hmm. It just makes no sense of having that be the inciting incident, the inciting McGuffin.
0: I think that's pretty much it in terms of issues with Hawkeye. Like it comes down quite neatly into uh, that there were loads and loads of threads and they didn't all get resolved and the ones that did get resolved did so dissatisfyingly or dissatisfyingly if you're looking for clarification. The thing I realized when we were out walking the dog before uh, we podcasted, which is always a good idea, um, that allows you to congitate the last things, is mm. that this was released at Christmas and people were theorizing maybe Clint will die and people were arguing over what Ronin did did or didn't do, and people were like, this is going to end in disaster. Maybe it's all Mephisto. And someone else said this, uh, was there is no way that the episode before Christmas Eve, they're just going to kill Clint Barton and say, deal with it. Like, they're <laughs> getting him home for Christmas and they're not mm. going to kill Pizza Dog either. I, I realised that like the things that are really good about Hawkeye, you know, Kate, Yelena, Echo, and some of these really beautiful, quiet slight performances from Jeremy Renner, who finally gets to sort of remind us why he was uh, Oscar nominated for The Hurt Locker in the first place. Mm. Um, j- just those scenes with Clint and just the-, the bit where she's writing out for him what yeah. his son's, uh, his youngest son is saying and just that we're shut in with him and everything's blocked off. It was, they were so good. That was such great drama. And, like, I would love more of that. There's no point me even playing you a clip of it. It's all on Renner and Steinfeld's faces. It's all in the direction. It's all in the visual edit. Everything else was done with such joy and such, like, we're so glad we could get, oh, you're so cute, Kate Bishop, together. <laughs> um, that it, the whole thing was just a big old Christmas present. And mm-hmm. if you remember, they actually gift wrap it for us in the the last end credits. It's like, Merry Christmas from Marvel. Here's your satisfying comfort food, which is what Hawkeye is when you rewatch it. It's like nothing absolutely terrible happens. In fact, if anything, stuff gets cleaned up. And mm-hmm. uh, it's the sort of thing you could actually show younger kids. It doesn't get too dark, maybe considering the subject matter. And the fact that it kind of infringes upon the street level uh, territory. The fact that it's linked with, you know, the Defenders and, and Daredevil and uh, uh, that th- that version of Kingpin does make it. So it just gives it a flavor of this could have gotten a lot worse, but we decided against it, which is I've been looking into watching some of Iron Fist, which I saw none of, just for um, Jessica Henwick, the uh, actress who played Bugs in The Matrix 4. Someone who had watched it said, uh, you know, I I, I was frustrated with it all the way up to like the last minutes of the last episode, um, which I concluded this was when Marvel said, we're going to get our own TV with no blackjack (laughs) and no hookers, but we'll light the fight scenes better and choreograph Mm -hmm. them well. And uh, that kind of feels like what this is. It's like, this is us doing street level Marvel our way. And, Again, it's the difference between this and the the fraction run also outlines how the MCU version is made more appealing in almost every way, which unfortunately sometimes means they chase being appealing and they leave behind that sharpness.
1: Well, I think you also, if you look at what they did with WandaVision, that's almost the complete reversal of that, where it started off with kind of, oh, this is very light and very frothy and entertaining, and oh my God, where is this going? And ah, <laughs> and trauma thin.
2: Unfortunately, they also decided to bookend Hawkeye with Rogers the Musical.
1: Oh, our version did not have that. Because Alex was liberal with his editing tool.
0: I actually have a thing on Roger's
3: hair. Something strange in the air today. The sun is gone and the clouds turn grey. Just what's coming is hard to say. I don't know. There's a battle above the street. The ground is roaming below our feet. The sky's turned red and I feel. I see
0: So this was one of the only bum notes for me. As someone who loves some musicals intensely and could take or leave the rest, what I saw looked like it was put together by someone who has never really sat down and felt a good musical, who doesn't understand the push-pull of humour and pathos in some of the most popular ones that just go on and run and run and run and get revivals and for others how they wallow in intense obsessive melodrama like Les Mis is not funny but you go there for that feeling What I saw was shallow and cretinous, not funny and not compelling. It looked cheap and thrown together by a youth group with only one afternoon to write one song number and bring outfits from home. In context, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark was also a shitty series of mistakes, but it was based on the Raimi films, not people who actually lived and in some cases died very recently not people who can sue, not centering around an event that has been regarded as analogous to 9-11 in the MCU, playing in Manhattan at literal ground zero in a theatre where there may still be bloodstains outside on the street. Rogers had... Poster quotes emblazoned all over the awning, but most of the reviews would consider this musical crass, exploitative, naive, stupid, and tedious. It reminds me of the Family Guy parody of Disney animated musicals singing about pie and completely ignoring the exceptional craftsmanship of the 90s renaissance, thanks in no small part to Howard Ashman. What the hell? What's happened to us? I don't know, but suddenly I feel all sweet and warm and fuzzy. It seems we're in a universe where
3: everything is drawn by Disney. Look, there's our house. (laughs) Look how gaily we run. Oh,
5: Stewie
6: and Brian, you're just in time for pie.
3: Did somebody say pie? It's a wonderful day for pie. You can ask all the birds in the sky, and they'll tell you real sweet with a musical tweet. It's a wonderful day for pie. For pie. For pie.
4: For
3: pie. For pie.
0: This is wonderful, Brian. Oh, let's live in this
3: universe. Gosh, it's pretty intoxicating, isn't it?
0: I want to hear more music about pie.
3: It's a wonderful day for pie. And it smells a lot better than I. (laughs) Everyone in the house. And this Adam West mouse. The bees making honey. This Tom Tucker bunny. We
5: all sing with glee, because we all agree. It's a wonderful, wonderful day.
4: Want a nice shiny red apple to put in that pie? No! No!
3: Brian,
0: we could spend the rest of our lives here. It's perfect.
3: Sounds good to me. Doesn't seem to be a thing wrong with this place.
5: Hello, everybody!
6: Oh, yeah, I forgot. This is a Disney
5: universe.
0: I find this last gag particularly ironic since I'm hard-pressed to put a finger on any anti-Semitic Disney media whatsoever. But Family Guy has had Mort Goldman as a recurring Jewish joke for 20 years now. Rogers the musical would be more like Hamilton as a lot of people have said as created by someone who actually loves Hamilton not someone who has never engaged and is annoyed with all the radio play and attention that Hamilton got I'd expect lyrics to be dark and canny and witty and in constant duel between irreverence and admiration How does a 90-pound shrimp measured barely five feet? Son of a nurse and a soldier who was raised on these streets. Orphaned by war and tragedy, yet he continuously meets. These trials head on and keeps on trying. How does he do it? Okay, I am not gifted in musical theatre, but Disney can afford people who are. In a world where the Smithsonian exhibit in The Winter Soldier and the Falcon exists, this Musical, as it stands, would be a massive flop. New York audiences would wind up in tears as they remembered their loved ones dying. Remember, we see this number minutes after Kate loses her father in flashback. This show would be booed and shut down. As well as getting lawsuits out the wazoo, it could not afford to stay open. But only Clint finds it distasteful and upsetting, which paints a grim picture of the rest of those sat in the dark watching this smarmy, ill-considered tosh. And I've heard the argument that it's bad on purpose that Disney will save the good musical version of a Marvel tale for later. But that means, in-world, we, as the audience watching the audience, have to suspend disbelief that this could be a triumph with folks who have not only suffered through the Battle of New York but out-of-town are tourists who come from far and wide to watch Broadway shows. Does the Rogers musical get to the bit in Steve's life where he strained and pushed against Thanos' gauntlet but was unable to prevent him from snapping away half of everyone, only to assist in bringing them all back five years later with the world now in quiet mourning, now, now, flung into chaos? Steve's story is one of triumph. Yes, but also of loss and defeat and sacrifice. And I absolutely believe that is the kind of operatic material suitable for a musical. It would just have been better than this one in a dimension where their version of Elon Musk is Tony Stark.
3: I wanted to do what you did, graduate in two, join the revolution. He looked at me like I was stupid, I'm not stupid. So how'd you do it? How'd you graduate so fast? It was my parents' dying wish before they passed. You're an orphan. Of course, I'm an orphan. God, I wish there was a war. Then we could prove that we're worth more than anyone bargained for. Can I buy you a drink? That would be nice. While we're talking, let me offer you some free advice. Talk less. What? Smile more. Huh. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. You can't be serious. You wanna get ahead? Yes.
2: Fools who run their mouths off wind up dead. It feels to an extent like they sort of were trying for a bit of Ember Island players thing, but it doesn't really even work on that level. It's the wrong setting. I brought that up with Sharon
0: to... yesterday. Uh, yeah. What were the reasons that you said that it's not like the Ember Island players? Because I did I did my own version of the Ember Island players as well. And
1: but mm.
0: like, the Ember Island players is
1: propaganda. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole point is that it's it's meant to put across A version of a story that's being utilised by people who weren't paying attention.
0: And who are crass and rubbish. Indeed. And who are the fire nation trying to convince the rest of the fire nation that everyone else in the world is evil. You're supposed to loathe it rather than go, oh, it's cheesy.
1: Yeah. So the the purpose of... I I mean, a big part of it, and I didn't say this to you yesterday, but a big part of it is you've got to think about the purpose that musicals serve. Like what Broadway musicals do... Yes to an extent there's an escapism about it but you're right about the whole this is meant to be a, a space where you can embrace this intense melodramatic over the top um
0: even the ship ones like dear evan hansen yeah, are trying to that's, do that that's badly they are trying
1: to do and they are not cheap and this is a world where the blip happened not that long ago mm-hmm. and that's the, what i said new york would have been totally changed by everybody coming back i just there's a part of me that thinks they have not got the time to be putting together and staging broadway musicals Mm. and the significance for me is it's it's as you said how the audience takes it yeah the the presence of the musical is not the telling thing it's the fact that everybody else apart from clint seems to love it
0: remember the last time we saw uh, an audience that were actually crying it was in Captain America, the first Avenger, and there was uh, uh, women in the audience crying because their husbands or, or boyfriends were overseas watching fighting World Real War II and then watching the, the newsreel. Yeah. And then there's one guy being a complete ass who Steve says, you want to take this outside? And they do. Mm.
2: Indeed. But there was, a, there was a piece of artwork that someone made um, specifically in response to Rogers the Musical that shows... Sam and Bucky being like, yeah, let's go see this. It's got to be great. And Bucky's like, I don't know. I don't I don't know if this is I'm going to enjoy this. And we see them watching it. And the look of horror on their faces is just like they are rightfully disgusted by this. And that's the way
0: they should feel. Yeah, uh, My version of the Ember Island Players is the uh, Blushing Pilgrims in Steamheart. And mm. uh, I went out of my way to make it, like people go, oh, this is like the Ember Island Players. And it starts out very cheesy, but it also starts out accurate to the way people performed plays like that in the time. And it was also propaganda. It's to try to get specifically Southern sympathizers on side with a collective cause. Mm. But even that ends kind of like melodramatic it it does make you like you know even even though it was uh, it was delivered in a way that I, I asked the actress to just get that point in between overblown and actually quite powerful it ends in a in a way that actually captures the hearts of the audience
4: I strike him right between his ribs I
3: walk towards him, but I am ushered away.
5: They row him back across the Hudson.
3: I get a drink.
5: I hear wailing in the street. Somebody tells me you'd better hide. Say Angelica and Eliza Were both at his side when he died Death doesn't discriminate Between the sinners and the saints It takes and it takes and it takes History obliterates And every picture it paints It paints me and all my mistakes When Alexander aimed at the sky He may have been the first one to die But I'm the one who paid for it I
0: I would have understood Rogers if we'd seen a part at the end that was rather than just being given that stupid ass song, um, just a really sad song that just sort of reminds you of what we've lost. Like, you know, we're all on Clint's side at this point, so the, the, the show becomes an irritation and distasteful rather than something that we can all laugh at ironically.
1: Mm. Well, the mm. way that's framed, the fact that Clint and the kids leave afterwards... Yeah.
0: They, they also, didn't think about making this musical when they made it, no. so we don't need to think about what could have been in Act 2 no. and give them mm. the benefit of the
2: doubt. This I'm not giving them the benefit oh, of no, the doubt. no, no,
1: that wasn't my
0: This is straight-up bullshit. Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: Also, in the case of your stuff, the fact that it's propaganda, but propaganda towards a good end, it makes it so that the heartstring manipulation... Hmm. Like, when you were talking about how Titanic was felt manipulative to people, in this case, that's sort of part of the deal here in terms of, as you said, bringing people on side. Hmm. But, you know, it's also... A chance for their for, for the in-universe audience to sort of get a feel of what it was like for us the real world audience listening to Catherine tell her very sad story of yeah. weird
0: it's not positioned as just very sad it's it makes us cry but mm. uh, it's also it, in, it inspires the audience because it ends in a um, well, it, it's a restaging of Gone with the Wind, but rather than, you know, as God as my witness, I'll never go hungry again. It's as God as my witness, I will work cooperatively with everyone else to make sure that we can keep these parasites away from our door.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: But there were some who did not share the new American work ethic and sought to steal what others had grown and earned from the sweat of their backs.
4: And who, pray tell, are you, sir?
0: I head up a force of men passing through these parts. We're in need of food and shelter.
4: Well, you just turn that horse around and ride on back to your men. Tell them Catherine Holloway says Weirwood is not a place for leeches.
5: Now, why be silly, you pretty thing? I'm just asking for a little sucker and courtesy.
4: Sir... If you do not step off my porch, you will see the true test of my mettle.
1: Very unwise to threaten someone of my standing, Someone with
0: as many hungry men as I have at my disposal.
4: Do you even know who I am? I don't give a damn. You bring whomever you have. We shall be ready.
3: She never said that.
4: Calm down. It's poetic license. Dr. Penrose, Miss Gray, prepare the children for battle.
3: Yes, Catherine. What? Yes, Miss
1: Catherine.
4: Ugh. I like punching.
3: Surely good show.
0: This is my nightmare.
3: Oh, my uncle. Turn it off, turn it off, turn it off.
0: The skirmish raged through the night, and the dawn brought with it a peculiar peace as the last raider fell. Eighteen of the brave Weirwood assembly lay dead among them. The last to go was beside the cherry tree.
4: Oh, Preston, you fought with honor, and you have defended your lands. There is no greater thing that America could ask of you to give.
3: Tell me sweet words to send me on my way, dear one. Tell me... Tell me that you will live on. That you will keep that fire, and never give up.
4: I will never give up, Preston. I promise you, my silent night... And I never did, for my life is now etched in history, and yet I am living it, just as you all live yours, with bravery to face the darkness and bring America back to a land where hard work grants a lifetime of satisfaction.
0: The Hawkeye show also drew on other comic runs, including Bendis, Maleev, and Max run on Daredevil with the amazing introduction to Echo and Kingpin feeling more of a prominent presence this time than he was in the uh, Fraction run. Hawkeye died... In the comics, not uh, the Fraction run He died in uh, Avengers Disassembled Which is when Wanda went crazy Again, and oh, this is the first time Of two, because she goes crazy a second time In uh, um, House of M And everyone keeps wanting Wanda To go crazy, and it's like, why do we keep pushing These powerful Phoenix-like Forces towards, I want you to go nuts And rip everything apart
1: Oh, you ripped everything apart
0: Ah, well that's just like an over-emotional woman <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Hawkeye died in the comics and was brought back again, just like Oliver Queen, when he was rad, and not just a two-bit Johnny Template TV Batman stand-in. And the Ronin persona really was who he went around masquerading as, only, <clears throat> only for the role to pass to Echo during Brian Michael Bendis' new Avengers run Circa Civil War. Televisual Marvel, with this show, also wisely chose to make this a two-hander passing of the torch, as we've said, giving us Kate Bishop's new origin as Hawkeye too. Like I said, Kate is much more... Um, kind of positioned as grown up in uh, uh, the in the comics, there's actually sexual tension between her and Hawkeye. I'm like, I oh, thank fucking God they didn't try to do that in this. Mm-hmm. My God. As Clint steps to the background in the show, as uh, legacy characters having finally been given some screen time and some surprisingly, like I said, low-key drama, and the casting of Haley Steinfeld, who continues to be just as ta- charming and as talented as Florence Pugh, Felt perfect and a long time coming. And really, I think we need to give it up for casting director Sarah Halley Finn. Had they not had her since the beginning, then the inspiring cast of dozens of shrewdly, discerningly considered actors over the years, the picks to play long-established comic characters that we've actually genu- like. It's been based on hunches, it's been based on talent, it's been based on their performances in their uh, auditions, but pretty much every single one of them has worked. But if we hadn't had Sarah Halley Finn there making her decisions, and I'm sure she wasn't the only word on it, but she's the one who writes down RDJ question mark, you know, the results could have been entirely different. Mark Wahlberg as Tony Stark. I'm going to do this and just listen to Greg's sounds. Jai Courtney as Steve Rogers.
5: No.
0: Kellen no. Lutz as Thor.
5: Who? Exactly.
0: Who He's the big guy from Twilight who was in that Hercules film that wasn't the Hercules film that had the rock in. Mel Gibson as Nick Fury. No. No. Gina Carano as Natasha Romanoff. No. See, I actually was the one back in God knows, like around about the time Fast and Furious Six came out. I was like, "Wow, she could play Wonder Woman. What the fuck? Wrong!" She kept I was a there. Thrill. Yeah, but yeah, she she hid that bigotry. Um, Jesse Ventura as the Incredible Hulk.
1: The Hulk with a secret rat tail. No. <laughs>
0: yeah, buddy, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And oh, who could forget that boy with the brown hair and the pale, serious face from that dystopian YA novel movie? adaptation series as Peter Parker
2: Are you talking about the Maze Runner or like different? I don't know pick one. All of them. All of them (laughs) pick one. It would have been him or him
5: (laughs) Oh boy He (sighs) also
2: picked up Jesse Ventura that just makes me think of all of the skits that the uh, We Hate Movies people have ever done with Jesse Ventura
0: (laughs) Snood the movie Are you really
6: not hungry? That fight was so long.
1: It's really tasty.
6: Really tasty
1: Yeah, I know what boxed mac and cheese tastes like. Okay, I know it's
5: it's delicious. Uh forks, forks. No.
3: You have one fork? I'm one person. Kate! This is not cutlery. This is not cutlery.
1: We need to talk about the other woman on the roof, not mine. No, the other one.
0: Sharon pointed out, and do you want to elaborate on this one, what uh, Clint's superpower actually seems to be? And we'll divorce this from Jeremy Renner himself, because while he does bring it in the the performance, this is what the writers have found he's actually really good at doing, or this is what they've used him for.
1: Yeah, so on, on several occasions, what Clint's role seems to be in the... What the hell am I doing? There are people around here who have actual superhero powers. Why am I involved?
0: I'm holding a stick and a piece of string from the Paleolithic Mm, era.
1: Exactly. But he repeatedly is the, the inspiration for young women who feel trapped, isolated and powerless, very specifically, get up and take hold of whatever they do have available to them to move forward. So he's, he's done this in the past with Natasha. We didn't get to observe it because by the time we see them together, they're on a much more equal footing. But both of but them talk know... about that moment
0: with extreme uh, like emotional weight. Like Absolutely. It was huge for both of them.
1: Absolutely. And he is now squaring up potentially to being able to do the same thing for Yelena. Hmm. He's done it for Wanda. And he's done it for Kate now as well.
0: Side note, when Yelena was attacking him, I felt like, just get on your knees and tell her the truth. I couldn't stop your sister any more than I could stop you. Mm. Just say that and leave that. Like, that would be so powerful. And that would just just let Florence Pugh and her astonishing face acting and eye acting do the rest.
2: You could also say to a certain extent that he left his mark on Echo as well. Because even though mm. Echo should be rightly mad at him, whether he killed her father or not, or whether he was just pointed at it deliberately, or, you know, because Kingpin wanted Echo's father dead for some reason. It's unclear. Yeah, <laughs> but that conversation between the two, well, mostly Clint talking to Echo, but like it's complicated because they're, you know... We can Uh, call her Maya, although that might get confusing. Yeah, (laughs) doing too many kick-ass Mayas. Yeah, it's true. Actually, you never have
1: too many kick-ass Mayas.
2: Yeah, true. But Clint also pulls out the "You and I were the same" speech, and that's the kind of speech we usually get from From bad guys. Yeah, yeah, from villains talking to heroes. The one time They're that I've They're not actually, so different, you and I. Two sides of the same coin. But in this particular case, it's like Clint is acknowledging his own darkness, mm. or that he has dark aspects in his past, mm. and he says, he's basically seeing like, saying like, you haven't necessarily gone where I have yet. You have a chance to turn it around, which is what harkens back to her own father's comments about walking in two worlds and everything like that. It's weird that this is the second time that this has happened in recent memory, but the only other time that I've heard a hero or ostensibly heroic figure Mm. use the we're the same speech was Casey Ryback in Under Siege, Mm. where he's talking to Tommy Lee Jones as the darker version of himself that has lost hope and faith that he can be used towards good ends, and has decided to just blow everything up. And there's got to be something
0: more philosophically profound than fucking under siege.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yes, I'm, there's definitely got to be. But I've got you know, in
0: my head a very serious speech where someone like delivers the whole thing and then says, that finishes it with "We're the same." Split. Right down the centre. What is that shit? It's driving me insane. Folks, okay. tweet at me. <laughs>
2: I that, know that. How rarely we say that.
0: <laughs> I'm good with that sort of thing.
2: Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, Batman Returns, is it? I
0: actually think it is. I think that's fucking Michael Keaton talking to Selena Kyle.
2: Yeah.
0: Wow. Can we get better than something from Tim Burton and fucking bigoted, crazy old bastard Steven Seagal. Not that there's anything wrong with Batman Returns. Great film. And we are going to revisit it at some point soon, along with the original Tim Burton Batman and Richard Donner Supermans.
6: Selena. Don't you see? We're the same.
5: We're the same. Split, right up the center.
1: What impressed me about that repetition of, of Clint doing that over and over again, and I'm not talking the inspiring here about young women inspired, who feel trapped. Yeah, exactly. It, it's not that these are women who. And Kate need...
0: deliberately, like, she outlines that he made her feel in a world, they always say, like, the gods with hammers. Like, just a regular person could do... Yeah. A, you know, could could make their way in the world Absolutely. in under astonishing and terrifying circumstances. And I'm
1: not talking here about women needing a man to do something to inspire them. Specifically, mm. it's the fact that he should be powerless in that situation. He yeah. should be unable to stand toe-to-toe with the Avengers because he doesn't have what they have. And that goes beyond their respective genders and what what role he is able to outline for them that they could take up if they wanted to.
0: So while comedians may make fun of Hawkeye because he sticks out of the Avengers like a sore thumb, the writers of the MCU have, in a low-key way, used that as a strength. What you're about to hear is Saturday Night Live making fun of a comedy with really well-timed and well-delivered lines.
2: Great shot, Hawkeye. All right, listen up. The portal is opening. Stark, I want you to get up there and take him out. Take him out? Like on a date? You just got quipped. All right, Thor, it's your time to light him up.
3: Rosgard,
2: does anyone have a scrunchie? Black Widow, get ready.
5: I was born ready.
2: And Hulk? Yeah, Hulk smash, I know, I know. Great, now, Hawkeye, it's time to do your thing. I'm out of arrows. <laughs> what?
3: I'm all out of arrows. I don't have any more. So, uh, I guess I'm done, right? Yeah. Alright, I'll be in the car, stay safe. No, wait, no, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, wait, you're leaving? Well, yeah, I mean, I need my arrows. It's kind of my thing, right? You guys got this. How many arrows did you bring? All of them, like, eleven. Eleven? Eleven, there, there are a hundred thousand aliens out there and I killed 11 of them, you're welcome. (laughs) My arrow thing only holds 11, 12 if I really cram them in there, but it's not safe.
2: Anyway, good luck. Try the Avengers, they'll take anybody, those guys. Have you been to them? Oh, they have a, hey, they have a guy with a bow and arrow, I'm not kidding. They, what are they recruiting at sporting goods stores? Or, hey, you jump rope really fast, how'd you like to be an Avenger?
3: I like the way you tetherball, sir. (laughs) How that would you like to take on Ultron? Hey, hey, you okay? This is all our fault. Hey, look at me. It's your fault, it's everyone's fault, who cares? Are you up for this? Are you? Look, I just need to know, because the city is is flying. Okay, look, the city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. (laughs) But I'm going back out there because it's my job, Okay, And I can't do my job and babysit. Doesn't matter what you did or what you were. If you go out there, you fight. And you fight to kill. Stay in here, you're good. I'll send your brother to come find you. But if you step out that door, you are an Avenger.
4: All right, good chat.
0: It feels very uncomfortable praising Joss Whedon in retrospect, but Age of Ultron is also terminally undervalued. The establishing of Echo before they went back to her as a child was fantastic. When they went back to her as a child, I was like, we are actually in straight-up new century territory here. Not that I hold that as the high bar that other things have to live up to, that sounds astonishingly pretentious, but just how I would have done it. I almost always, if I really want you to get with a character, either as soon as we meet them or after a while, I go back to when they were younger, I establish something that's happened to them which then informs on their behaviour now so that then you don't have to keep explaining it. We know what's driving them. And more specifically, the writer knows what's driving them. And it goes beyond cool then. And the the actress who, who plays her, uh, alaqua Cox, mm. Echo in the uh, uh, comics is deaf and can mimic with astonishing uh, uh, acuity Um, not dissimilarly to uh, taskmaster and is of uh, native extraction but alaquacox also had the prosthetic lower right leg and brought that to the table as well and it's it's like the character always had this And she just makes such a great statement physically on screen. Every single fight she's in when she's using it to block and then using it to kick with, you're like, you are empowered with a disability Mm. without it feeling like she's a superhuman because of her disability. If you caught our interviews with Greg and Toby on Through the Wind Door regarding my book, Stonespring Maidens, I've said this before with the the whole the bionic arm fetishism that uh able-bodied people give disabled people the impression that they are required to be cyborgs. You have a metal arm that's so cool like we we it's easy for us to go that's fantastic now everything's great for you it's not so fucking easy. But the way that uh, the the character and the way that the actress holds herself as Echo, she just really makes that impact both emotionally and physically on screen. It, and, and not being able to speak as well, this is the same year as Makari did, just you know came in mm, as mm. this whole new version of of that uh, long established character. Good job, Marvel. Keep going. We need gay heroes. We need trans heroes. We need Asian heroes who can't do martial arts. Keep moving in this direction with this level of gusto and displaying this stuff with this level of acumen because it helps everyone, even the people who don't want it, to step outside of the default. And Hawkeye, as a TV show, felt so strong in its feminine energy like you know that during that rooftop fight you got these three amazing women and I'm like I could at this point like if 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 Clint gets blown off the roof and then the girls discuss <laughs> what the hells to be done next I'm fine with that for the rest of the series I
1: think fundamentally how that how that works and what I think they got really right with Maya and with some of the other characters who've been coming through recently as well, is that the the disability, the ethnicity, the uh, the different ways of communicating, the different sexualities, the different kind of relationships that that person has—they are never. They're not the defining characteristic. Echo is not great at fighting because she is... like It's not that the deafness conveys on her this superhuman ability. Mm. The fact that she has to observe really acutely to be able to understand people probably feeds into it. It's
0: clear she's worked her butt off to get where she is. It
1: is a part of her. It's what contributes to who she is as an individual. She is not representative of that group as a whole. But similarly, it's not a case of, well, if you just put her prosthetic leg on anybody, they would immediately be able to do all the things she does. No, 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 no. She has folded that into who she is as an individual.
0: And she's not a stereotypical native character either. Um, Zane McLaren, who played uh, William Lopez, her father, also did this fantastic, understated job. I love the way that he and uh, the the actor who played Kazi went to the accurate way of of speaking with certain people who are deaf actually do want you to, to speak, but in that slightly more quiet way where you're not having a one-sided conversation but you are at least enunciating very you know very clearly mm. and it, it made it so active mm.
1: well if you take the volume out of what you're saying you become mm. more aware of the shapes that your lips are making which when you're communicating with somebody who's deaf is the important part. yeah
0: but i mean you know anyone who's read or listened to tiger's eye will know how entranced i am by sign language because i i, I love watching physicality in film and sign as a way of it. and i love communication and its physicality used for communication it, it it hits all my points and the scenarios where echo and then clint engages in uh speaking whilst observing uh, an absence of hearing they were all done perfectly as in just the right amount of weight was attached to them that they may as well just have been written on the page and experienced in the same dramatic level as someone who is entirely able-bodied in terms of hearing. I, uh, I love the way that Kate was positioned as a rich girl, but uh, almost immediately we didn't hold that against her. Little, mm. little uh, rebellions like her mother's like, I want you to put on uh, that red dress of yours. Well, her mother almost always wears burgundy. You ever notice that? Um, yeah. And so she, uh, we, the next scene she's wearing a black suit, which of course she looks fantastic in, but that's by the by. But th- that's a rebellion. That, that is, uh, we can see she is going out of her way to not just do that. And then she manages to utilize the fact that she's wearing that to blend in as waiting staff and, and does pretty well with that. But she's always scrabbling that diehard thing. Mm-hmm. Like John McClain going, oh, no, I'm not going to make this. That's She does that more than Clint in this. And mm. and like she doesn't have John McClane's attitude at all. I'm sure he's uh, he would not work now. That you know hanging on by the skin of her, uh, uh, her teeth and 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 just about getting through. Like the bit when she's uh, zip lining across with the bow and then stops halfway <laughs> through across the street. Yeah. Again, Steinfeld's oh oh shit! Like she could play Nathan Drake and win, <laughs> easy, easy. Yeah. And I also can't wait for her to meet Spider-Man. But um, one of the things I really loved about her wardrobe, you know, besides the suits, she always wears boots, these big, like, you know, combat boots, which uh, that whole, like, Kate wears them in the comic, but it's always a great choice because they don't quite go with most of the clothes that she wears, but she wears them anyway because she prefers that. Mm -hmm. So your thing about the shoes are... You
1: get the right pair of shoes for the character and they will pair them with anything. Yeah. Because they are themselves in those shoes. Yeah,
2: comfortable shoes, man. You can't, you cannot overstate the importance of them. Mm.
1: Absolutely, those superhero landings come off a lot better if you're wearing flats.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Just saying. And I get her actual chemistry with Pew, the, the, the fact that you're getting these two astonishingly talented actors together. And it just, it seemed so much of it was very improvisational, and if it wasn't, they made it feel like that, which of course goes all the way back to the original Iron Man and the spark that Marvel had where it didn't feel quite so scripted and strictured, which is odd since one of the, th- the complaints levied at Marvel over and over again is that they're too restrictive on creators and they have too much of a formula they always make it feel like jazz it's reactive but in the short term as opposed to we want to keep changing course over and over again
2: i mean and whenever
0: they screw up it's it's reacting too much and and wildly diverging
2: as far as the jazz i mean as you were saying a, a while ago the casting is part of what makes the jazz
0: yeah absolutely and it's it's it's
2: uh, it's jazz and alchemy
0: jazz comedy, if you will Watching Florence Pugh work here, now that she'd had a chance to watch Black Widow, see how people reacted to her, like kind of get a a feel for the character, she just came back in and owned it. And I'd be, I'm sure a lot of people would be very happy for there to be a Black Widow too, mainly focusing on her. But the dynamic between them is so key because what they're doing is clearly building a young Avengers. We've got Mm. a new Hawkeye, new Black Widow. We've got a She-Hulk on the way. Uh, Sam's already Captain America we've got Ironheart on the way Uh, Jane as Thor with the new bearer of Mjolnir on the way I don't know how long Natalie Portman's going to stay with the MCU but I like the idea of her being the new Thor
1: well the Mm. concept of being able to do that with the character is what brought Mm. her back she had pretty much fucked the MCU in the bin and this changed her mind so I'm hoping that she sticks it out
0: sorry that Jane dumped you (laughs) I dumped her. It was a mutual dumping. And we've got Ironheart coming because Peter found his way as Spider-Man, his original creation, on his own terms. He's not a little Iron Man. And if he was, he'd have just just gone, right, those uh, drones that I was given by Tony Stark, totally going to use them and effectively inherit Wonka's factory and run it exactly the way that he's always run it. So, no, he's gone his own way. And I feel like he... As a successor Avenger, same as with Doctor Strange and God knows what's going to happen with Black Panther, but his dynamic will work with all of these new versions. And I feel like they haven't announced it yet, but Marvel are going to lead up to not a TV thing, but a young Avengers movie that is a big crossover of all the, Oh, of course, Kamala as well. (laughs) Of all of these characters that we've seen on TV developing and just sort of joining up. Because the box office success of Eternals versus the box office success of Spider-Man No Way Home tells me that people will come and see, out of curiosity, a new Marvel property. And if it's a Guardians, they'll come repeatedly. But if it's something that they goddamn love and there's going to be surprise cameos out the wazoo, which spider-man no way home absolutely had and it will satisfy people in a way that like now i would expect that there are going to be lots of marvel actors who are like i don't know anything about this project i haven't been asked and then a few months later youtube videos saying look at andrew garfield lying lying to our faces (laughs) they have to lie otherwise we know everything Mm -hmm. You know, I think, honestly, we should just not hold it against actors. Because if they go, I can neither confirm nor deny that, that's a yes. But to bring it all the way back to Kate and Yelena, it's crucial that the new Hawkeye and the new Black Widow strike this rapport. They don't have superpowers. But if they have each other, well, to many of us watching, that is a superpower.
3: I love American Christmas is the tree. The presents, the super powered reindeer, Rudolph. He's oh, so weird. <laughs> have you ever eaten reindeer?
1: I cannot say I've had the pleasure. No,
3: <laughs> no it is not a pleasure. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's really tough. It's chewy. You have to braise it for a really long time. But hey, Kate Bishop, you grew up here, right? You must have some recommendations for me.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see, the High Line, High Line is great. Um, there's a Christmas market in Union Square. Um, I'm not quite sure those are the right fit for the bloodthirsty vigilante type.
2: <laughs> the <very> bloodthirsty vigilante.
1: <laughs> Sometimes you're funny, kid Bishop. Do you keep saying my whole name just to point out that you know it?
5: Yes.
0: So I mean that's Hawkeye. Like I said, it's it's comfort food, it's a Christmas gift, it's a it's a series of things that you like and you kind of have to it's like getting a big gift basket and it's like, Oh you shouldn't have and I'm definitely not eating that cheese. But I'll give that to my uncle maybe. You can
1: give that to me, I will eat any cheese. That's
0: very sweet of you. Uh, but the uh, the chocolate and the chutney, definitely, maybe together. They they might work remarkably well, and the uh, chocolate sauce and sriracha it goes quite well. On uh, I, I love I just oh god her delivery. Mm. She's a completely different Black Widow, a completely different character to um, Natasha. And
2: although to a certain extent, I would almost say that she's a combination of Natasha and some of. Um, Haley Steinfeld, or rather Kate Bishop's irreverent energy. Mm. With a little
0: bit of uh, RDJ as well, that sort of seeming ability to pull stuff out of thin air.
2: But she is capable of being serious when it's needful, and she is capable of being playful the rest of the time, and I appreciate that.
0: But even if this does end up, in retrospect, feeling like like just a sort of a, a, a little parade of, hey, here's some roundup for previous characters, and then some Uh, showcasing of new characters. Because, I mean, the fact that Echo got a show off the back of this to me suggests they weren't planning to make an Echo show, but her performance was so fucking amazing that as opposed to, oh, you all liked Agatha. She was very mimetic. Okay, Agatha show. I feel like the Echo show was based purely on the realization that they had a really special combination of actor and character on their hands. Before... Everyone was able to respond the way they were with Catherine Hahn as Agatha. I would suggest people read at least the first six issue uh, arc of uh, the Fraction Hawkeye. It's um, it's the closest to this. There are little nods, like uh, the the red car that the tracksuit mafia give chase to them in was in the comic. It was the car they got in to escape the tracksuit mafia. So it's almost like, yeah, we know it's a different car. We gave it to those guys. And uh, the, um, the conversation about, trick, you know, boomerang arrows, that's crazy. That takes place, but it's the other way around, with Kate Bishop incredulous as to what possible use of boomerang arrow could be. So here, it actually, with the reworking, is she's bringing new ideas to the Hawkeye quiver.
2: I will say that I did like the, the probably it was stitched together, but it looks like one long shot when they're doing a good portion of the car chase scene, mm. where the camera's just swinging around and showing everything from different angles. It was probably a little bit of fakery, sort of similar to what they did in that one scene, uh, that one extended scene in Loki, mm. but it made for some good cinematography. And honestly, the way it ended, sort of when we were talking about, you know, the, the things that were difficult mm. with this show, the only way, the only real way that I could enjoy this show in its entirety was basically just to accept that there was a whole bunch of stuff that led nowhere, turn my brain off a little bit, mm. and enjoy the spectacle, the fun, and the parts that they really brought home mm. in terms of anger, in terms of Hawkeye losing his partner, having a new one sort of forced on him, and a lot of new duo stuff developing in terms of between Clint and Kate, between Yelena and Kate.
0: And it feels like Echo is one of those links to the streets that the Avengers badly need. I'm also hoping for a return of Luke Cage in some capacity. Netflix screwed that up. Bring in the new female Iron Fist, Echo, Daredevil, Alias, and guest star Shang-Chi when he's not dealing with magic shit. Heroes for Hire,
3: done. This is Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin of Crime, and I'm here to thank every member of my organization, or at least those who fund my nefarious schemes. Thank you to Aaron LeClusay, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hobgoblin, Brian Cardiac, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Manworth, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy Dan Mayer Daniel Selguero. Dan Hepner Dave Hitman David Sheely Duran Barnett Finbar Nicole Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing J. Jonah Jameis Enright Jesse Ferguson Joe Crow Joel Robinson Johan Clayson Joe G, Josh Waster, Black Cat Essman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Hui, Matthew A. Cyber, Matthew Webb of Spider-Man, Michael Hasko, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green Goblin, Toby Ungis, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Now, bring me Alistair Smythe, Hammerhead, and Tombstone.
0: Okay, so, uh, we will see you folks next week when we begin our commission season. With one of the greatest and most significant anime films of all time, I said yes to anime this one time. Oh, and it is. Well, I'll give you a clue,
3: folks. Tatsuo Kaneda. Tatsuo Kaneda. Tatsuo Kaneda. Tatsuo Kaneda. Tatsuo Kaneda.
0: Right. Okay, thank you so, so much, Greg.
2: Where can folks find your show, and what's it about? Oh, Sounds good. Oh, yeah. It, it, I guess there might be people that don't know about Through the Wind an exciting fan podcast where we delve so very deep into this collection of stories in both print and audio drama form called the New Century Multiverse. We are gearing up in a few short weeks to start season five, where we get to tackle the big crossover for that series of books, *Steamheart*. I've already been setting up our uh, season introduction. Toby's recording his portion. I'll be recording mine. It's going to be epic.
0: I am really looking forward to both years of you doing this. <laughs> 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 this mammoth, ridiculous epic that nearly killed me and all I had to do was write, edit and uh, direct the thing and perform it repeatedly. But uh, yeah, no, uh, seriously, there is there is a lot for you to get your teeth into here and uh, yeah, really looking forward to that, folks. And... Uh yeah, if if you're not listening yet, it's a great accompaniment. Like if if you read the first book, let them go and then start listening to them. Uh, you know, if doing a book club, they just right out of the gate, they they're incredibly compelling to listen to. And as I've said before, I keep forgetting that I'm the one who wrote the damn books.
1: So. Well, they bring Greg and Toby bring these insights that yeah. we never thought of, yeah. which is fantastic.
0: Absolutely. Here's a little clip from their most recent episode, which was, actually, it was us being interviewed by them. And at the end of four hours, we all went a bit doolally. But my God, was this fun.
1: Plus the fact you've got to think about what autumn can... Offer that is immediately beneficial to the average person mm. living in relatively rural America. The reason that the Duarte had this major advantage when they moved into Britain mm. is, as Alex said, they had this natural ability to be able to dispose of the bargast. Mm-hmm what's the the people of autumn's response going to be when they come up against the the wendigo that are running rife in america
0: it'd be like if aliens came down now and said all of these environmental problems you're having we can stick that in reverse and give your planet some stability and actually give you a a few hundred years of breathing space so that you can actually uh, bring this under control yourselves but to do that everyone's got to go bald everyone on this planet (laughs) has got to give up their hair there would be people going I'm not giving up my hair but but everyone will die if you don't. My hair!
1: Plus the fact, you know, that if aliens did dial us back a few hundred years and go, right, there you go, now you've got some breathing space, you can sort it out.
0: Industrial you know, Revolution 2! What too. will
1: happen is nothing for a few hundred years until we catch back up
5: again with where we were before.
1: And then everybody and then, will panic again. And then
6: the aliens come back as, like, what did we say? <laughs> we left you for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs>
3: No matter how many times you save the world, it always manages to get back in jeopardy again. I mean, sometimes I just want it to stay saved, you know, for a little bit.
2: I feel like the maid. I just cleaned up this mess. Can we keep it clean for for ten minutes?
1: The one thing I said was don't touch the coal. What did I say? We've run out
0: of coal. Do you have any coal on that spaceship?
1: Does it look like we have coal
0: on our spaceship? We power this thing with singing. (laughs) She's gone.
5: <laughs> we <laughs> power this thing with the hair of foolish civilization. <laughs> they just keep
0: giving us all their hair. <laughs> what are
5: the only ones who don't.
0: <laughs> I feel like we'll be able to smell those aliens coming. <laughs> you know how the cars that run on fry oil, you're like, ah, yeah. I knew there was something. <laughs> And the people who were suggesting that you run cars on sewage, like, just, I don't think that's gonna help anyone. You
6: would think that we would smell you coming through the vacuum of space, and yet, here we
2: go.
0: I don't know what, whether this is gonna make for good coffee for you guys,
2: but enjoy. I'll use all of my editing abilities here, but... <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm You're in the corner going. going, good, good... <laughs>
5: What
0: is it now? Just the same thing. (laughs) We noticed that you aliens are not bald. You in fact appear to be wearing luscious wigs. Um, Yes, we could sell you a few.
5: (laughs) So in your ideal universe...
0: I didn't say ideal, you said ideal. The aliens
1: that are going to save us. From climate change. In um,
0: in my new book.
3: I'm <laughs> 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 running a weak pyramid scheme on the side. <laughs> yes. When they it's sell the people
1: back their own hair.
0: You say you that know like what it's the, not actually happened you, before.
1: You know what the most... Mosh
0: <laughs> people were wearing the hair of poor people as wigs. <laughs> and you know what the most valuable hair of all is?
6: Henry Cavill's moustache.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's $25 million. Right there. <laughs> Just the removal of it, the, ad- the addition of it, $50 million.
5: <laughs> The
0: hair must flow. <laughs> Do not, my friends, become addicted to hair. (laughs) You will resent its absence. Don't I know it? Uh,
5: Greg, we've ended up in a hairy situation.
0: (laughs) So that is Through the Wind Door, Greg and Toby's podcast on the New Century Multiverse book series also available in cinematic audio drama form. If you've not had the pleasure yet, start with their first episodes having read or listened to the best introduction to the series, the actually really serious gothic survival. Let them go. So, until next week, with Akira, I've been Hawkeye.
1: And I've been Hawkeye.
0: And school's out.